Thank you, Jesus. There you go. All right. All right, I'm on. All right, our core kids may be dismissed at this time. If you could open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, where we will continue our series in Mark. Verse 13. Verse 13. <laughs> All right, Jesus says, Then they brought the little children to him, that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning. We're so grateful for you, God. We're grateful for this word that we get to read and we get to understand the character of who you are. Lord, we ask that as we read it today, we would not add to it or come to it with our own conclusions, God, but that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts and to our minds, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be in this place, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive your word and your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we have outlines. If you did not receive an outline and would like one, please raise your hand and we will get one to you. So this story is actually also in Mark and it's in Luke chapter 18. And in chapter 18 of Luke, he describes the little children as infants. I have a quote here from John MacArthur in relation to this passage, and he states, these parents cared about the future of their children. They wanted their children to know God. They wanted their children to have eternal life. And I thought that was so powerful because what believer would not want the, what is best for their children and would not want them to have eternal life? You know, it's, and it's not just it's not just the fact that you want them to be safe or you don't want them to go to hell, but it's the fact that you want them to experience the joy of the Lord that you know in your heart. Because when you walk in communion with God, you have a peace, you have a joy. And when things in this life happen, you can rely on that joy. You can draw back on that. You know that you will have peace in your heart. And that's really what we want. It's not just the, the physical or spiritual protection, but it's also just the joy of knowing the Lord. You know, you look at the things that parents do for their kids, whether it could be sports, it could be school. You know, maybe some parents want their children to go to a Christian school. Um, <clears throat> I know of, uh, my wife and I were talking of a, a couple that, you know, they don't really practice Christianity. They don't really say the name of Jesus, but they want their kid to go to a Christian school so they can learn about God. You know, you'll have parents who send their kids to private school to get a great education. You'll have parents who uh, immerse themselves in their, in their child's sports. I know that we just, we had our kids in, in fall softball and it consumed our lives. Every night of the week, we were at softball practice. On Saturday, we were at softball practice. They even had a, a game, their final game was on a Sunday. And there are parents out there that that's their life. It's just immersed in their child. And, and you have to sit, step back and think, am Am I, doing these, am I doing that on the spiritual aspect? Am I teaching my child 
about Christ? Am I teaching them about what the Word of God says? Am I preparing them spiritually for life? And, um, and I don't think that's always the case. And I know that in my own life, uh, it's not always the case. There, there can be times where, you, where you, get, um, you, know, you get so focused on things that you're doing that you can almost put God in the back seat, and we have to be very careful that we don't do that. You know, in this story, we see multiple dynamics at play. We see Jesus teaching, which is something that he always did. Verse one states, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. So if you think about the different environments that he taught in, he taught uh, off, a, you know, from a boat to the shore to a large crowd. He taught from the mountain in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, <clears throat> he taught on the hillside when he fed the 5,000 and the 3,000. It's something that was his custom. He always did. You have parents who are attempting to bring their children to Jesus to receive a blessing. You know, they wanted to, Jesus was, was, some considered Jesus the Messiah at that time, but some just considered him a rabbi, a great teacher. And, um, which is evident in the, the verses after this, which Bishop will be preaching on next week, uh, is the rich young ruler, he, he calls him teacher, good teacher. Uh, so they just wanted to bring their babies to the rabbi to be, breath, to be blessed. And um, <clears throat> you also have the disciples who are attempting to control the crowd. So you got to think, everywhere that Jesus went, there was a crowd that followed him. The only time that I see that there wasn't a crowd that followed him is when he was alone praying. And in John chapter 6, when he, he told them that he had, they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood and everybody ran away. Because <laughs> they misunderstood what he was saying. And he, you know, his disciples were left and he said, are you going to leave me as well? Uh, but everywhere he went, he had a large crowd that followed him. And, and um, you know, one story I can remember off the top of my head is when there was the lady with the issue of blood and she touched the hem of his garment. And he said, who touched me? For I felt the power come out of me. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There are people everywhere. There are people pressing in around us. What do you mean who touched me? And that was the environment uh, on a daily basis with him. And so you can understand, we don't want to be too hard on the disciples here for, you know, rebuking the parents. It's something that they were accustomed to trying to do. Um, I think in, in a lot of biblical stories, we always want to identify ourselves with the hero of the story. So in, uh, <clears throat> you know, when we read David and Goliath, we always picture ourselves as David. You know, we never picture ourselves as one of the other Israelites that are hi hiding in the in the ditch because they're afraid. And that's, that, that's kind of that self-deception that we have. And we have to really be real with ourselves to understand that when, we're, when we think about it and we put ourselves in these situations, we probably wouldn't be that much different. You know, we get busy performing the task and forget to look up and see what is going on around us. You know, a great example of this is Mary and Martha. You know, before Jesus' death, uh, they were eating, and, and Martha was serving. She was doing dishes. She was serving the disciples and the owner of the home. And Mary was lounging with Jesus and enjoying that time, spending time with him. And she, uh, Martha got upset because she's like, I'm doing all this work. And Mary's just over there sitting down and enjoying herself. And I'm sure that after Jesus was crucified and, and rose and was ascended into heaven that she wished she had spent a little bit more time with Jesus instead of trying to be so busy. But that's where we get. We get to a place where, you know, we have our goals, we have our priorities, and we, we really focus on those, and we can forget 
or we can overlook the things that are going on around us and overlook those special times um, that, that happen in our lives. And you see that with the disciples here. They're, you know, Jesus is probably teaching on something very important and you see these parents who are so excited to see Jesus and they wanna bring their, their children and they're, and they're you know, rebuking them. And Jesus got angry. Jesus got very angry. And, and uh, you know, the, the version I have here says um, <clears throat> he was greatly displeased. And that's to say the least. He was irate. He was very angry that they did this. And he had a lesson uh, to teach as a result of it. Um, the point, first point we have here today is about legacy. Uh, if you look in your, your handout, our children are not a burden to be endured but a blessing to give our life meaning. I'll repeat it one more time. Our children are not a burden to be endured, but a blessing to give our life meaning. If you could turn to Psalm chapter 147, verses three through five. Psalm 147, three through five, and say so when you got it. one so all right behold children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate you know the sentence that really sticks out to me is that like the arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And you think of a warrior, someone who has honed their skill, someone who practices, someone who's ready for battle and they're prepared. And that's really the way that we should approach our children. They, we need to prepare them. We, we don't need to just raise children by accident, but we need to be intentional in the way we raise our children to make sure that they understand right from wrong, to make sure they understand the Bible and who God is and how he loves and what great things he has done. Uh, because the truth is we can't carry on forever. Eventually, our bodies will break down. You know, every time I say that I feel like I'm getting old, my wife gets mad at me. She says, you're not old, you're only 34, which is true, I'm not old. But the older I get, I start to feel some aches and pains in places I didn't feel before. My knees start to hurt if I sit longer than an hour, which never happened before. I told the first service that a couple weeks ago, I had to shave my ear hair for the first time in my life. <laughs> which is not cool. <clears throat> yeah, the nose hair grows a little bit faster than it used to. <laughs> hey, it's life. It's what happens. You know, our, our learning increases while our physical abilities diminish. You know, I hear people say sometimes, I wish I could go, with everything I know, I wish I could go back to when I was younger. Um, but that's just life. We, we're not going to be around forever. These bodies, because of sin, uh, will eventually die you know, it's a startling statistics. Other than a few cases in the Bible and Jesus himself, uh, 10 out of 10 people die, and it happens. Um, yeah. In today's society, the family has become an obstacle in the way of happiness instead of the cornerstone of the culture that it once was. This is evident with the assault on marriage and the abortion epidemic. You know, this... if. If you ever get time to look at statistics on abortion, it's pretty, it's, it's really eye-opening and sad to see how many babies are, are killed in the womb. 
You know, we rail at government or even God when disasters occur, but we openly accept abortion as a society. So the two cases that just happened with firearms, you look at the church in Texas, you look at uh, Las Vegas where this, uh, this you know, evil person is just mowing people down with firearms, and, and right away we think to ourselves, well, how can we prevent this? Because something needs to be done. So you have some people that say, we have a right to have firearms, and we're not going to get into a debate. But, and there are other people who say, you know, we need to do something. And there's that, that sense of urgency. And, and though, whether you agree with them or not, you see the sense of urgency where we can't continue to let this happen. Something needs to be done. But just think about that. Babies are murdered in the womb every day. And where's the sense of urgency? What, what are we going to do about that? No, we openly accept it. It's evil. And that's where our culture is. You know, millions of, not, of lives have been snuffed out in the womb. Why? For convenience. I'm sure that in some cases there has been a medical reason, but 53 million since Roe versus Wade is a, is a startling number. You know, you look at some of the great tragedies in the history of our, our world. You know, you look at World War II, you look at Nazi Germany, you look at some of the things that were done in China and in the Soviet Union that pales in comparison to what we've done here. You know, children in, in today's society have become an afterthought in our priority. And that is exactly the mindset that Jesus was railing against when he rebuked his disciples. So it's not anything that's unique to America or Western civilization. You know, Ecclesiastes says that nothing new is, is under the sun. It's the same sinful nature. It's the same human nature. Um, <clears throat> you know, these infants were not a burden to Jesus. They weren't. They, they had a purpose he wanted them to come so that he could bless them. Paul's relationship with Timothy is a great example for us in leaving a legacy. Paul refers to Timothy as a son in the faith and passes on his theology and authority to him. When Paul states that he is being poured out like a drink offering, he knows that his time is limited and Timothy would be the one to carry on when he was gone. Every church leader that goes through any type of training will read exactly what I'm talking about here. They will read the pastoral epistles and they will see exactly the, the heart of one teacher teaching someone. It wasn't his biological son, but it was some, an adopted son, if you will, because he didn't have his own. And someone that he could pass on a legacy to. And it was a very important legacy. Along with Titus, you know, Timothy was very important in in the early church, you know, and the truth is that as great as Paul was, you know, as great as God lifted Paul up, that he wasn't going to live forever, and it wasn't about Paul, right? It was about that legacy. It was about Jesus. You know, <clears throat> in leaving a legacy, we have to get over our own pride in humility, understanding that we won't be around forever, and that it is our responsibility to teach and lead the next generation, we have to re resist that urge of perfectionism to where we want to do it. I want to do it because I, I know that I want it done exactly this way. And we have to take the time to teach and let people fail as we teach them. And let our kids fail as we teach them. Give them that room for error so that they can learn from that. Our greatest, our, our greatest learning comes in those times of failure. Second point I have this morning is trust. If you look at the second point in your bulletin, 
We must trust God like a child trusts their father. We should be humble in our helplessness. We must trust God like a child trusts their father. We must be humble in our helplessness. James chapter 4 is probably one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible. And it speaks a lot about, James speaks a lot about being humble and the heart that you have to have when you come to God. God resists the proud, but he draws near to the humble. And Jesus said, for such is the kingdom of heaven when he was referring to these children. You know, Jesus is pointing out here a very important fact, and that is the helplessness of these children. Another quote from John MacArthur, he says, it is important to note these are these being the children are an illustration of all those who are also a part of the kingdom because unless you come like a child, self-confessedly weak, helpless, unworthy, dependent, humble, with nothing to commend yourself, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You know, when we do, when you do evangelism or someone comes to you and they ask, what what do I have to do to, to be saved? Maybe something traumatic happened in their life and they're like, I need to be saved. A lot of times those don't come from a place of weakness. They don't come from a, a humble place. They come from a place of fear. They, what they're really looking for is some assurance that I don't want to go to hell. And if we kind of peek a little bit, you know, I don't want to give away Bishop's message next week with the rich young ruler, but if you kind of peek into that story, you can see that he comes to Jesus, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's looking for that assurance. He's trying to follow all the rules. And Jesus said, you know, follow the law. And he says, I followed all these from my youth. And he says, one thing you lack. I'm going to stop right there so I don't ruin it. I'm just kidding. He <laughs> says, one thing you lack, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Right? Because he wasn't coming from a humble place. He was coming from his own righteousness. I'm sorry. Stepping on your toes. <laughs> We're going to the beach. <laughs> uh, that's funny. If you could turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. Say so when you got it. All right. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and goes and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You know, what a great illustration for us to, to really realize what trust means. It's being rooted in, in God and rooted in the Lord so that we understand that, you know, when trials come our way, when problems come our way, we have a source of, of uh, strength to draw from. We have peace in our heart. You know, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that when you, I know contrary to some of the things you hear <clears throat> uh, some pastors say today, uh, that when you accept Christ, everything is going to be good or you'll be successful you know, if that were the case, when we accepted, you know, when we came to Christ in our humbleness and, and, and we believed, then we would just go to heaven right away. But we're here to live this life and we're here to go through suffering. And Jesus said very sternly that suffering is a part of the Christian walk. 
you will suffer because I suffered. They're gonna hate you because they hate me. And that's the truth. And when we go through those times, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whether it's relational, whatever the case is, we can draw from that peace because we are rooted in Christ, because we are rooted in the truth and we understand. You know, we must have the confidence that God will take care of our every need. Every need. There is an understanding here that we, must be, that we need to be humble and helpless before the Lord. Not that we should walk around in defeat, but that we should understand our brokenness and why we need salvation. And that is the gospel. That's the gospel, why we need salvation. Because we're sinners, because we're broken, because we've violated God's law and on our own righteousness, we can't redeem ourselves. But that's why Christ came. He died for our sins. He took our place. He took the wrath. He took the shame for us. You know, a quick point, hum, being humble is a funny thing because I've had people tell me you, that I'm humble and I'll start thinking about it and immediately I become prideful. <laughs> Lord help us. My last point here is blessing. If you look in your handout, the words we speak to our children have a great impact on how they see themselves. And I'll repeat that one more time. The words we speak to our children have a great impact on how they see themselves. Just think about the words that God has written in, in, in his word about us, about how he loves us. And that's how we should see ourselves. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's how we should see ourselves. That's how the, our kids, our children should see themselves. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. Say so when you got it. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It does feel good to have words of encouragement, doesn't it? Even when you know you're doing something right, when that word of encouragement comes, it's just validation to you that you know you're on the right path and it's soothing to your heart. And it makes those things, it makes the, the grind better. When you, when you work so hard and you go through a, a tough time or, you know, even I'll equate it, I equate everything to working out. So, you know, when, you're, when I'm at the gym and I'm working out and I'm encouraged by those around me, it makes that better. It makes that, that pain better, the suffering better, because that's really what it is. You know, it's very important to point out that Jesus blessed the children. You know, blessings in Jewish culture were an important part of the family dynamic, as well as the rabbinical tradition. You know, these, the parents would, <clears throat> it was a custom where they would take their children to the rabbi to be blessed by them. You know, when we read the Old Testament and how Abraham blessed his son and how Isaac blessed Jacob instead of Esau, it was a big deal. The blessing was a really, very big deal. And it wasn't just the physical blessing of you're going to inherit, you know, I just did my life insurance, so I got one that has 40% and the other two have 30%. Um, but so it's not like, you know, you're going to inherit the 40% and you're getting the 30%, but it was a spiritual blessing that went along with it. 
And how great was it for these parents that their rabbi was Jesus? That's pretty cool, right? Jesus not only blesses these children, but he also identifies them as part of his kingdom. So two things I want you to take away from this, and I'm going to tell a little story to kind of help it soak in. We need to identify our children with positive words. Say that again. You need to identify your child with positive words. And I was actually studying this this week in in my dining room, and the kitchen's behind me, and Sophia's doing the dishes. And for those of you that know Sophia, know that she's very energetic, and, uh, you know, sometimes things break around the house because there's a lot of energy there. <clears throat> I don't know where she gets that from, but uh, she gets the energy part from my wife and she gets all the breaking part from me. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm sitting here and I, I'm being real holy, studying the sermon, and I hear this, like, bashing. She's like, bam, 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 and I'm what in the world is going on? So I look back and she's trying to shove the bottom rack with the dishes in it in the dishwasher, but it won't go. And she says, dad, this thing's broken. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, it's not broken. So I look, I said, wait, stop for a minute. And you could see she had a butcher knife in the, in the spoon thing and the handle's hanging out and it's hitting the top, right? So she can't get it in there. Every time she pushes it, I'm like, stop, look, there's a knife in there. You got to pull it out and you got to put it in the right spot. So don't cut yourself and just make sure you put it in there. So she's looking for it. She's like, I don't see it. It's, I mean, it's literally right in front of her. She says, I don't see it. I don't, I don't, I said, it's right there in front of you. So she's looking, she's got her hand. I'm like, no, it's to the right. It's to the left. Nope. And then she finally grabs it. I'm like, there you go, genius. <laughs> That's what I said to her. And so she puts it in the right spot. She closes the dishwasher. And I kind of turn around and go back to studying this, this point. This point. I went back to studying this point. <clears throat> And she says, Dad, you really think I'm a genius? <laughs> and you remember getting the hand to the back of the head when you were a kid? That was God right there. You know, the words, you know, thank God she took it the other way. But I'm in it, right? I'm in it negatively. Captain Sarcasm came out. You know, he, had, he made an appearance, and, and I, was, I said it out of kind of frustration. And I say this story to say this, that our kids will identify themselves with how we speak to them, the names that we call them. You can call them blessed or you can curse them. You know, my second point to that is when they lie, which every kid's, every person's going to lie, every person's going to steal, every person's going to dishonor their parents. When they do those things, if your child lies, don't identify them as a liar. Don't say, you're always lying. Why do you always lie? That's all you do is lie. Say things to them to the effect that you're better than that. You identify them with the positive. Because here's the truth. If you identify your child as someone who lies, maybe maybe they've stolen. And you say, you're always stealing things. In their mind, they're developing through what you say who they are. So in their mind, they're thinking, I'm a thief. It's what I do. Why should I try? This is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. We need to be very mindful of blessing our children, saying words 
that are positive, encouragement, telling them who they are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's in Romans chapter 8. You know, and the, and the, the big thing that I want to leave with you today is this. Don't take our children for granted. And not just your children. I said this in the first service as well. The children that are in there that aren't your children. Only you can make the impact that you're going to make on your children. And only you can make the impact that, you, that you're going to make on other people's children as well. Don't take your children for granted. Every moment is a teachable one. And the words we speak make a difference. The words we speak really do make a difference. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've had three girls... You know, my youngest is Sophia's 13, so the last 13 years, well, longer than that, but at least 13 years I've had girls. And God has, you know, worked some things out in my life, in my wife's life, where we now have a, another girl, my niece, Cadence, who's here. Um, you guys see her around. She's 14. And my nephew, Rylan, who's eight years old. And so I never raised a boy before. And, uh, and I'm getting a whole new perspective on... Uh, on raising children by having a boy. Even though he's not my son, I have the opportunity. God has given me this chance to, to really to raise him, to show him how to be a man and how to love God. And, um, <clears throat> you know, there are times when he frustrates me and, uh, or I'll be busy and he comes up and he asks me a question and I found that I really need to take the time to, to look at him when he's speaking to me and, and let him say what he has to say, answer his question. And, it, it, you know, I've started to, to show him how to do things. So I'll bring him over. I'll say, Rylan, I'm going to show you how to work on this, show you what these tools are for. I'm going to show you how to take out the garbage. I'm going to show you how to treat a woman. I'm going to show you how to praise God. You know, we were at a, in Tennessee, and, and uh, we were around the fire, and, and he's singing hallelujah out, you know, just to himself, to God. And I, that was such a touching moment that that, the environment that he was in was very negative, and now the environment that he is in is a godly one, and it makes a difference in their life. And uh, it's, it, you know, this message really hit home with me, and I just want to encourage you to, to speak words of blessing, to, to leave a legacy for your kids, that we need to trust God like a child trusts their parents. And um, God bless you all. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we are so thankful for the children that you have entrusted us with, Lord Jesus. They are not a burden, even though that we may get busy at times. We ask that you would remind us constantly, Lord, the importance of raising a family, Lord, of raising children, of raising up the next generation, of teaching them your ways, God. Lord, as you said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Lord, writing it on our, our doorposts, Lord, reciting it everywhere we go so that we don't forget the great things that you have done and the great blessings that you've bestowed on us, God. Uh, we ask that as we go throughout this week that you would remind us of these things, Lord, and that we would love and bless our children. In Jesus' name, amen.